The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. Well, I guess I would make me Steven, wouldn't it? Not sure why that should be obvious, especially if this is your first episode that you're listening to. But to me, it's pretty obvious. That was terrible. That was terrible. What am I doing? I don't know. I never know. I know. Well, that's not true. I often know. I have notes. I have notes today, but sometimes I go off script and I say things that Maybe in my mind, I think at the time are clever, but they turn out to be stupid. So while I'm just spouting nonsense and idiocy and making myself look like a fool, I want to remind everybody that I have a new book out there. It's called Then a Penguin Walked In and Other Tall Tales. You can get that sucker right now at most any online retail outlet if you want to know where it's available, just go to penguin.stevenorelse.com. That's where you start. You can get it for your Kindle. You can get it on Amazon in paperback form. You can get it for your Nook. If you're a Kobo person, you can get it for your Kobo reader. It's out there. It's out there for you. And I hope you enjoy it. The first story in the book, well, it's a fantasy tale. And I wrote it because I had been reminiscing about my youth and all the fantasy books that I used to read. I'm a big reader. Most of what I used to read back in the day was all fantasy stuff. Started with the Dragonlance Chronicles, read some Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, moved on to stuff like The Wheel of Time, the Shannara books by Terry Brooks, which rhymes with books. So I was all up in The Dragon Bone Chair and the other books in that trilogy. Tad Williams, I can't remember the other two books. Stone of Farewell and To Green Angel, Angel Tower, I think was the third one. It's been a while since I've read those. And so at the time that I, I decided I wanted to write myself a fantasy book, I had started to go back. A couple of years ago, I decided I was going to try to reread or listen to all these old books that I grew up reading, and I made a huge freaking list and then quickly found out that I didn't have a lot of time on my hands. But I started to listen to the Dragonlance Chronicles, and it got me it got me in the mood to write some fantasy. And so I wrote Then a Penguin Walks In, which isn't the typical title you might find for a fantasy novel. Um, and that's because it's not your typical fantasy novel. Well, first of all, it's not a novel. It's a short story, and it's not typical. When I wrote it, I asked myself the question, if Douglas Adams were to write a fantasy book, what would it be like? And that's what I tried to do with Then a Penguin Walked In. But the main reason I'm talking about it today, right now, the only reason I bring it up is because I want to talk about a book with y'all. Going back and trying to find these books from my youth to read or to listen to, it's not easy. 
I go to used bookstores, I can't find anything, or I find maybe book two and not book one or book three, and it's just, it's been a big chore. The obvious place to start for me, because I'm a low-rent fanboy, is is at the library. And But because these books are older, they don't have them, they don't have the audio books anymore. And so I would go to, we have, uh, through our library, we have the Hoopla app, which allows us to check things out digitally. One of those options is audiobooks. And there is a uh, another resource to check out audiobooks electronically. I can't think of the name of it. I do it through an app called Libby. But while I was just sorting through the fantasy and just looking to see what was available, I had changed my preferences on Libby to only look at fantasy novels that were available to check out right then and there. See, through Libby, if someone else is checking out, if somebody else has checked out the book, you can't check it out as well. Hoopla doesn't matter, but through Libby, whatever resource they use, the book, the book has to be available. Somebody else can't already be listening to it. And so I'm just kind of scrolling through what's there. And I come across this book that just based on the cover alone did not look at all interesting in any way. And I started to read through the description and I thought, you know, I guess whatever, there's, there was just nothing about the book that made me go, I have to listen to this book. But I had honestly gotten to the point where I was tired of scrolling and nothing was leaping out to me. And everything I was coming across was book two of 15 or book seven of 19. And any of the pre- none of the previous books were available. Well, the thing that appealed to me the most about this particular book, and we'll talk about it in a second, is that it was book one of three and it was available. So I thought I'd give it a try. It's called The Blade Itself. It's by Joe Abercrombie. It came out in 2006. And the audiobook is read by Stephen Pacey. So I start listening to the book. And the first thing that strikes me is that Stephen Pacey, as a narrator, is literally one of the best. This is the first book I've ever listened to by this guy. The only other guy I can really compare him to off the top of my head is Jim Dale, who did the American versions of the Harry Potter books. The thing I always liked the most about Jim Dale is that he could literally do a different voice for every character, a voice that was different enough for every character that you didn't even have to hear him introduce who the character was. You knew who it was just simply by the voice he was using. Well, that's that's the same with Stephen Pacey. He is amazing. Now, I will say that by the time I finished this book, uh, the first words out of my mouth actually was just before the end. I think I was 30 minutes to the end, the climax of the book, the final scene. I just went, holy crap. Everything about this book up until that point was was pretty good. But it's like everything in this book was leading up to this one scene in the 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 not the last chapter, but the chapter before the last chapter, chapter 44. Everything was leading up to this scene. It felt like, and it was such a good scene. It, all right, so let, let, me, let me just back up a bit here. Most modern books nowadays, and a lot of the fantasy I used to read, you'd kind of know within the first 15 to 20% of the book what the goal was. You knew who your good guys were. 
you knew who the main threat was, and you kind of knew what the good guys needed to do to end this threat. Or at least you knew that they were working toward finding that solution. So, for example, the Lord of the Rings. You kind of, you know, at one point during the first book, and it's been such a long time since I've read the first book, I can only compare it to the movie. You know, halfway through the first movie, the Fellowship of the Ring, that the main goal of this book is to take this ring to Mordor and throw it, you know, to Mount Doom and throw it in the, in the lava and destroy the ring, and then they all win. That's the goal. That's the quest. Well, you don't really get that out of this book. I've learned as I was reading it that this particular book is a subset of fantasy called Grimdark, which to me just means it was it felt real. Take away the magic and supernatural elements that were in there. They weren't prevalent, but they, they do tell, they are a main part of the story, but you take those away and it just feels real. It feels like this is what Europe used to be like back when they were carrying around swords and riding horses and shooting bows and arrows and all that. Shooting arrows out of bows. It just, it felt like this is what the world used to be like. But there is magic that's introduced to it. But at some point, you kind of get the idea of maybe who the bad guy is. You don't really, at least for me, you don't really, you still don't, I don't think you really know. I kind of have an idea based on my history with reading fantasy, but by the end of book one, you don't know who your Sauron is, for example. You don't know who the big bad is. I have an idea. They hint to it. I mean, I guess it probably is fairly obvious, but they don't come out and say it. They don't come out and say, all of this is happening because of this, and we have to do this to win. They don't come out and say that at any point in the first book. The book has three main characters. Logan Ninefingers, he's also called the Bloody Nine. He's a Northman. He's a barbarian. Captain Jazal Dan Luther, he is a... uh, He's a soldier for the Union. So you have the Union, you have an empire elsewhere in the world, and then you have the North. The North consists of various bands of barbarians. The Union would be, I guess, you would feel like reading this that the Union are the good guys. But because this is more true to life, there's not really, you know, there's, there's not really just straight up good guys and straight up bad guys. You've also got Inquisitor Glockta, who seems like a bad guy, but we don't quite know yet. He's a bad guy who's kind of leaning, who has kind of leans towards, I don't know. You just feel like there's going to be a moment at some point where he becomes the good guy, but maybe not. You've also got some characters. You've got this guy named Baez, who's the first of the Magi. He's a wizard. So he's your Gandalf, except... He's only known through legend. So nobody really believes when he comes to the Union from the north where he is staying, nobody believes he is who he says he is because nobody believes in magic anymore. And he has to convince them who he is. It's this whole thing and it's so wonderful and it leads to the to that scene that I was talking about that just, when it happened, there's a, there's a line that Baez says and I was driving home last night listening to it, and I laughed out loud. It was probably one of the most joyous moments I've had 
reading or listening to a book in, 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 a, in a while. They don't happen all that often, but this was one of them. And I'm not going to tell you what happened because it, be it would be kind of a big spoiler. Plus, there's a lot to tell to lead up to that point. So you've got this guy in the north, Bethod, and he is one of these barbarian chiefs. And he is claiming to be the new king of the Northland, which anybody outside of the North, anybody who hears that, their first reaction is just to consider him to be a man of, of much ego because there's never been a king of the North. And for somebody to, someone to claim that, it's just an insane thing for somebody to say. But he has been traveling around the North, gathering up these tribes, forcing them to bend to his will. He's got a champion that travels with him because in the north, you can go to this, you, uh, just the champions from each tribe can battle uh, rather than have any kind of war. Logan Ninefingers, you sort of learn throughout the book, he was at one point Bethod's champion, but something happened and he had to leave and he's never, he's never allowed back. If he, if he tries to come back, they'll kill him. But he himself is a legend. The Bloody Nine is a story that they tell in the Union about this bloodthirsty, savage Northman that folks just assume doesn't exist, but it's, it's, it's him. He, end up, he ends up, he's this uh, wizard's apprentice, Baez, his apprentice finds him out in the wilds and says, you know, my master is, is looking for you. He needs to see you. And so he gets hooked up with Baez and then they go to the union. So Baez knows there's something wrong going on in the world. He knows it. He's trying to take steps to take care of it, but they're not really talking about what it is. Throughout the whole book, the assumption is at this point is that it's starting with this guy, Bethod, who is rallying all of the tribes of the North and he's going to invade the South and he's going to invade the union. So the so the union is going is going to war against Bethod and his 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 people. This Inspector Glockta character, he okay. So in the union, they're kind of fancy people, right? They're more civilized. It's a civilized society. They no longer believe in magic. There's actually a uh, a race of monsters like uh, what would be this world's ogres. They're called the um, oh man, I can't remember what they're called now. They call them flatheads. Um, yeah, I'll think of it later, probably, but they were created through magic. They're still alive. They're up in the North. They cause a lot of problems in the North, but nobody in the union even believes they exist anymore. The noble people of the union, if you are, if, if you hold a high rank in the military or politically, you're, you're, you're of noble birth and Jazal, this character, he is, he's a nobleman. He is a captain in the army and he's learning how to fence. Fencing is a big thing. There's a contest every year. The man who wins is, you know, gets all these accolades. Well, Inspector Glockta, in his youth, he was one of these champion fencers. He was a, he was a, a soldier in the army. He went to fight this war with this empire. Uh, I, I, I don't remember the name of, of that nation, but they're still around. The emperor, they're, they're still an emperor. The empire is still a thing. And they went to fight them. There was a war. Glockta got captured and he was tortured for like a year and a half, something like that. 
he was wounded his leg so he can't he can't walk without the assistance of a cane he says many times throughout the story that his biggest enemy is stairs he uh he's really annoyed by stairs he's missing a lot of teeth cuz they pulled a lot of his teeth when they tortured him but and now he he was finally freed and he uh as the book opens up he is he's part of the inquisition they're kind of like uh almost a cross between the religious sect and the police glocta is an inspector he has what are called practicals that report to him and they would be like the policemen and women they wear all black with black masks they go out and arrest people glocta tortures them to to get confessions and it's it's pretty dark he's a pretty dark character but we're led to believe by the end of the book or or by near the end that our main focus should be the main bad guy focus should be this bethod character and uh Baez gathers up, he gets um, Logan Nine Fingers, one of his brothers, another Magi who was living uh, in the lands of the Empire. He finds a woman who was a slave and she is you know, a slave of the Empire and she has escaped and she is a very fierce, savage warrior. He finds her there's something about her and there's something about Logan that they need. And he brings her to the Union. Baez brings Logan to the Union. They meet up. By the end of the book, they and Jazal, they they have him join them for some reason, some mysterious reason. They don't really talk about it, but they're, they're then going to travel to the edge of the world on a great journey to what we assume is to, to, to save the world. We don't know what the danger of the world is. We are introduced at one point to a mythical past. Baez, he is the first of the Magi. He was taught by a man named Juvens, who no longer lives. Juvens is the guy who apparently discovered magic. He taught Baez, and Baez became the first of the Magi. They don't explain why Juvens is not considered one of the Magi, but you start to learn maybe that this Juven's guy is more of a godlike figure. His brother, um, whose name I can't quite remember, I think it was Canadius. He's also called the Maker. He was the one that created this of uh, this race of monsters. The uh, God, why can't I think of the name? The Shanka. That's what they're called. The Shanka. He created these monsters to fight for him. And he kills his brother Juvens, and then Baez, this is like thousands of years ago, kills Canadius the Maker, and uh, Baez is still alive, but again, people don't believe he's the real Baez because, of course, in the Union, magic doesn't exist. It's just a legend. It's just fairy tales, and there's no way a guy can be that old and still be alive and all this stuff. And it was just... All right, so I'm, I, I had gotten used to certain books, that, like I said, kind of kind of give you a clue within the first, at least 25% of that first book, especially for a trilogy. Even the Wheel of Time books, which ended up being like 15 books or something, before the first 50% of the first book is over, you, you know who the bad guy is. You know that here's the good guy that has been prophesized to save the world and because the bad guy is breaking out of his mystical prison. 
You know that. But you don't you don't get that at all in this book. And so after the first hour of listening to it, I start to realize that I, I have no idea what really is going on. I'm given enough information to find the characters interesting and, and what they're doing is interesting enough that I'm listening, that I, I'm hooked. But yet there's not a hook at the same time. I don't know how to explain it. There's a, they've, they've given me enough to care about what these characters are doing individually to continue on with the story. They're dropping little hints every once in a while. You kind of get the idea maybe what's what what they're going for. Now, my theory is based on my experience with old school, old school fantasy. This is, I'll just say real quick, this is called, uh, this is book one of the first law trilogy. And they talk about the first two laws of magic. Uh, the, they, they talk about the second one first, which is no man should eat upon the flesh of another man. Something like that. Basically, if, if you eat, if you're a freaking um, cannibal, you're breaking the second law of man. The first law has something to do with using magic and where you pull your power from. And it's almost saying, basically, there's a dark side and there's a light side and you should never tap into the dark side. Although at one point, Baez points out that really, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a loop. It's kind of a catch-22 because regardless of the type of magic you're doing, you're still reaching into the same place. And so it's kind of a weird law. But... What I have gathered is that in the end, what we're, what we're dealing here is, is Canadius, the maker, he's either coming back. We don't know that yet. Nobody said anything, but he's either influencing it. Ultimately, I think that Baez is gathering a group of warriors to defeat either Canadius or some type of, um, cult dedicated you know some some maybe there's a dark wizard out there dedicated to the uh, the whatever canadius was trying to do i don't know like i said first book is done and they haven't quite explained that yet and i find that so weird but there's just this moment logan and this this woman that um the other wizard finds her name is pharaoh they're all getting ready to leave the the Agriant, which is the city, the main capital of the uh, the Union, and it's actually kind of if I if I was paying enough attention, it's actually kind of a big fortress inside the the city. Maybe they're getting ready to leave. They're going to go on their journey. Logan's really looking forward to it because he can't stand being amongst that much civilization. And he's out walking around. I think he's looking for Pharaoh and he, he's because they can't leave without her. And so he's looking for her and he finds that she has been fighting these group of practicals. They have come to, to take her into custody. So he joins in on the fight and there's just this fight that rages on throughout various parts of the Agriant throughout, you know, this just a very epic battle. They end up taking on like 20 different people. And there's something about the two of them that they hint at that they can take a lot of pain and punishment and maybe they heal faster. There's something special about these two people, Logan and, and uh, Pharaoh, that they hint at. But at one point in this fight, Logan is just nearly beat to death. 
and he he had he he was unarmed. He finds a sword that's hanging on a wall that's been used as decoration, and it's a long sword. It's a two-handed sword, but it's it's very blunt. And he ends up basically using it as a club more than anything. And he can't even lift the sword anymore. And he falls to his knees and they're, they're in this room and more practicals come in to arrest them. And he's in his own head and he's like, it's over. It's, it's, it's ending. Everything comes to an end. But then another part of him wakes up, a part that he thought was gone forever. And it's the part that refers to himself as the bloody nine. And it kind of takes over and he gets up and he just slaughters these guys, man. He's just, it's so epic. And he and Pharaoh, he, so, so he slaughters these guys and then the bloody nine, it, it, he's done. So, so it kind of releases from him and he collapses there on the floor and she drags them back to their rooms. Well, the rest of the group that were, they didn't know where they were at and they can't leave until they come back. And Baez at one point, he's like, I'm going to go have a freaking bath because we're going to be out on the road. I don't know when the last time I'm going to have a bath. So I might as well take advantage of that. I'm very angry that they're not here. I'm going to go take a bath. And he goes into the next room. So all this fighting happens. Pharaoh drags Logan back to the room and he collapses there on the floor. He's just a bloody mess. And Jazal is there and he's looking at, the, he's like, he doesn't know what's going on. And then these three practicals come into the room. And they're basically like to Pharaoh, you're coming with us. And she pulls her knife and she's, I'm not coming with you. There's no way that that's happening. And Jazal, who is, he is a very, he's a nobleman. He's very high on himself. He thinks he's better than everybody. And he's certainly better than this barbarian and this savage woman. And so he draws his sword thinking that the practicals are here to arrest her. There must be a reason. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them. But they take it to mean that he's going to defend her. And <laughs> the next, so, so you got Pharaoh and Jazal over on one side of the room with weapons out. They're the two other companions, their two other companions are like hiding behind furniture. You've got these three practicals on the other side of the room with their weapons out. And then you've got Logan laying on the floor between them, just a bloody mess. And then suddenly Baez comes out of the room that he had gone into dripping wet and completely naked. And he looks at one side of the room and he looks at the other side of the room and he says, what in the fudge is this? Except he doesn't say fudge. And I am so not doing it justice. It was the funniest, greatest moment. Up to that point, there's this moment where the bloody nine is set free and saves them both from certain death. And I'm just, I'm proud. Despite how brutally violent it was, I'm practically cheering in the car. It was such a great moment. But that one line and the way that the narrator, what was his name again? Stephen Pacey, the way he delivered it, I was laughing out loud. It was such a great moment in that book. And I felt like regardless what, what would have happened, what, regardless what had happened previously, regardless of the fact that I still don't know exactly the goal of this book, the goal of the story, the goal that the good guys have to do and that who even the big bad is, 
even though I enjoyed everything up and up to that point, everything felt like it was just leading to that one moment. And it was such a great moment. And so, yeah, basically, I think what I'm trying to say is if you have not read or listened to this book, you should. I've already started book two. And again, it's called The Blade Itself by Joe Abercrombie. And I did find out because I don't, I remember I kept a, when I would refer to the book in my mind, when I'm talking to myself in my mind, I kept getting the title wrong. I kept calling it because I knew it was called the First Law Trilogy, The Blade Itself. I kept thinking of it in my mind as the first blade. And so I kept wondering where that came from. They, they never make any reference to any kind of blade in the book. And I found out that it's actually a reference to a line from the Odyssey by Homer, the blade itself incites deeds of violence. So that's where the title comes from. But it was really, really good. I haven't read a book this good. And again, I didn't listen, read it. I didn't read it. I listened to it. But I haven't listened to or read a book this good in such a long time. I haven't read or listened to any kind of literature that really affected me this way, except for Murder Falcon. So this is my prose version of Murder Falcon. This is my prose Murder Falcon, because Murder Falcon made me feel a certain way, which was just this epic feeling of greatness. And that's what this book made me feel as well. And so, yeah, I totally recommend it. And again, like I said, I'm listening to book two, so I'm sure I'll talk about book two when it's done. And I've there, there's a comic book that was made out of it. I bought the first issue. I'm kind of iffy on what it's going to be because I find that, uh, I don't know, the, the few preview pages I saw, it's like, this looks too clean. The art looks too clean. The people in it look too clean. Granted, everybody in the union were clean, but it just feels like, it feels like everybody should be dirty and bloody. So I'm going to give that a try as well. And we'll see after I read the first book if I want to finish with the second issue. I don't even know if they finish, if they put the the whole series, the whole trilogy in comic book form. Should probably find that out before I read anymore. But uh, uh, I've I've read that there he's got other fantasy books out there. So it sounds like I'm on... I'm on kind of a big train. I just stepped aboard. I just stepped aboard a journey train, a journey train, man. Anyway, my nose is getting kind of stuffy, so I'm gonna wrap it up. The blade itself, Joe Abercrombie, 2006. Look for it through your library if you if you can check out audiobooks for the through the library if you don't want to pay for it. You know, look for it because not only was it a great story, the guy who narrates it is phenomenal. You put two things like that together, it's just a great experience. So until next time, until next episode, my name's Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other, folks. Just Another Fanboy is a presentation of the Stephen or Else podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about whatever crawls its way into my tiny little mind just moments before I tap record. You can find me on the World Wide Web at StephenOrElse.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at StephenOrElse. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes.
Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job. Oh.